Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Good company and civilized debate with a premium on fun. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, good day and welcome back. Thanks to Matt Boland for the news. Uh, I listened to it. Um, you know, I often wonder why I do. Um, there's not much, uh, not much good in the news. I suppose we are learning, if you're in any doubt about my own view about Ukraine, uh, I regard it as a classic cash racket and uh, I can't wait for it to come to an end. Um, sure, we're going to talk with our next guest about Donald Trump, but I'm sure if he's elected, uh, he's promised to bring it to an end in 24 hours. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to achieve it. It is the most avoidable discretionary war in human history. Uh, NATO is the aggressor. And uh, the beneficiaries are Raytheon, uh, Talos Underwater Systems, uh, Boeing, and a wide collection of arms, uh, bombs, bullets, guns, missile, and tank manufacturers. Uh, they are the only winners. Uh, there is now, I think, at least 500,000 dead. Uh, Ukraine has been uh, virtually flattened. Uh, for what? Uh, for a result which was absolutely predictable uh, from day one. Henry Kissinger said, in any negotiation, you must begin by asking yourself what is the minimum non-negotiable position uh, of the other side and start from there. And uh, the Russian Federation was never going to tolerate a NATO-aligned Ukraine or NATO-slash-US bases or bioweapons manufacturing labs uh, on its uh, nearest neighbour, which indeed it had created by the fiat of uh, Joseph Stalin. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, my next guest... Uh, we're looking for a little bit of culture. Uh, professor James Allen is the Garrick Professor of Law, Queensland University. Uh, he is a, a, a member of an endangered species, uh, which is an Australian academic with an original opinion who's prepared to speak frankly. Uh, as Socrates said, we should follow the facts wherever they may lead us, like a ship blown upon the water. Very few professors of law are prepared to follow the law and the argument wherever it may lead. Indeed, we saw in the uh, last uh, sort of disastrous uh, referendum for a voice to parliament that virtually the entire legal profession was hostage uh, to the government position. There were a tiny handful of dissenting legal academics. Uh, James Allen was one of them. It's my pleasure to welcome you back to the Ross Cameron Show. 
Thank you, Ross. Uh, my dad would have loved that to hear that introduction, and you know, my mom would have believed it. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, pretty good. Well, Thank look, you. we're 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 making you giving you two honorary roles tonight. One is to be our Canada correspondent, uh, since you are a native Canadian, um, and you, as I understand it, have just returned from visiting uh, family and friends in your native habitat. Uh, I haven't returned, but we've just visited Canada. Now we're in London. I'm now sitting you're in here. London. Yeah, it's three degrees early in the morning in London and a little Airbnb muse. It's very freezing. Good. Very good. Well, um, freezing. We're all just waiting for that uh, anthropogenic global warming yeah. to kick in. I understand, uh, you know, from pictures of uh, masses of vehicles trapped on highways, unable to move because of snow and ice, that it's taking its sweet time to arrive. But I'm sure it will get here because we know that uh, Chris Bowen uh, never lies. Um, now, we are going to come to those more weighty matters of uh, international affairs, talking about North America. Um, but before we do so, uh, we're going to require you to be our arts and culture correspondent because I understand you have freshly returned from a sitting at a surprisingly good piece of theatre. So why don't you give us uh, a report from the bard, uh, Billy Shakespeare? Well, okay, uh, yes. Uh, you know, the thing about plays are a, a, a bad movie is always tolerable, but a bad play is intolerable, whereas a, a good play is better than a good movie, and you hardly ever see a good play. We went last night to the West End, uh, it's called The Motive and the Cue. Best play I've seen in four or five years. And it's all about the 1964 production of Hamlet on Broadway uh, that was directed by Sir John Gielgud and starred uh, Richard Burton. And uh, that play went on to set box office records. It was a smash hit. And Gielgud decided to stage it in 1964 as the final rehearsal of the play itself. So what you saw in the... And so this one is the background uh, production preparations for that play. And uh, so they'll break all of a sudden into, you know, the better parts of Hamlet, which your reader, your watchers will know is the most produced play ever. It's, you know, up to about a quarter of a million productions. Uh, and it's not my favorite Shakespeare. I think I like uh, Macbeth more, but Hamlet's a great play. And this production is really, really good. It's not PC. You know, the women don't, end up having all the best roles. It's, you know, an all white cast, uh, pretty much. And uh, so there's no PC in it. There's a little bit of Freudian sort of understandings about what motivates people, which is a bit garbage, but excellent, I would say. And the woman who plays Elizabeth Taylor almost steals the show, but it's getting rave reviews. And of course, by the time it, tra it transfers to Australia, they'll have a crap, crap cast. So we get the you know, the world-class cast here in London. So it was really good. And I was surprised how good it was. Well, I recall an interview with uh, Richard Burton, uh, who was asked what he regarded as his own greatest attribute as an actor. And he said, it is uh, the thing for which I deserve least credit, which is the voice uh, that God gave me. Uh, but he said that Sir John Gielgud was the 
finest sort of audible prose stylist in the English-speaking world. Um, so pretty nice to have. Uh, pretty nice. And and the actor who plays Burton is also Welsh. There's something about the Welsh accent that's melodious, impossible to impersonate. It just seems to collapse into an Indian accent. I, I don't know how, but it's just a wonderful accent. Very good. Well, um, you know, my uh, I've essentially uh, stopped going uh, to the theatre because I think, in the same way that I don't think Hollywood has really made a great movie for, you know, 15 years because the, the artistic spirit has been destroyed by the woke religion. And So I'm this, trying to think 15 years ago, what's the 2008 movie you're thinking about, Ross? Oh, well, you know, I mean, something like, um, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or yeah, if you, that was good. That was really good. You know, um, if you want to go back to uh, w when Hollywood was still, you know, that, that when when it still cared about telling great stories, uh, yeah. instead of simply um, reinforcing. Uh, I remember seeing Chariots of Fire. It took my breath away. What a yeah, great movie! This Chariots was. of Fire, Dead Poets Society. I mean, where. Yeah. Um, but all of that era is now just, uh, you know, we're now in the era. Ross, they can't even make a James Bond movie. I mean, you've got the formula that's so easy and they yeah. can't even follow a formula that's <laughs> perfect. You know, they're pathetic. Yeah. Well, look, we, um, we just had as our first guest, uh, Melissa Albacetti, who is a great, uh, South Australian of Argentine origin, who is a lover of Javier Millet and the great libertarian experiment taking place in Argentina at the moment. And uh, I would describe Australia as the square root of Peronist Argentina. We're sort of heading down that collectivist track with exactly the same predictable consequences. But you have just, uh, you know, visited Canada now en route uh, back to Queensland. Uh, my view, I saw interestingly, I think it was Pierre, Dr. Pierre Curie gave a speech um, in Sydney at the uh, entertain, no, Sydney Convention Centre. And he said, if you look at the three countries that have most completely lost their mind, in relation to COVID overreach and authoritarian brutalism by governments in terms of mandatory injection of experimental drugs, locking down communities, sacking people who would not comply, sacking doctors and any medical professional who dissented, etc. He said there are three countries that have most completely lost their mind. And he said, you can take your pick on the order, uh, but they are Canada, New Zealand and Australia. Um, I think the Canadian truckers, interestingly enough, that spark of resistance uh, was actually quite important in the sort of global uh, argument against lockdown and the destruction of livelihoods that we witnessed. But rather than lead the witness, um, why don't you give us just the eyewitness uh, impressions to the psychologist on the couch of your native Canada having just visited? 
Well, firstly, if I knew you were going to bring up Argentina, I would have had some post-its that I could rip off the wall because that was such a great little, little stick. Well, you know, with federal countries, it's always a little more nuanced. So, you know, I, I, I was in Queensland and really, other than not being able to get into the state or out, you could still drive around. All the restaurants were serving outside. You could go and play golf. Uh, Victoria was insane. The state of Victoria was insane. The two worst were New Zealand and the state of Victoria. Again, Canada, federal system. If you're in Ontario or Quebec, they took COVID restrictions much farther than, say, Alberta. Uh, so again, when you talk about Canada, the protests went across Canada, but it was in Ontario near Ottawa that Trudeau just uh, you know, seized bank accounts, started uh, criminalizing grandmothers who gave $50. Uh, so, yeah, we have just been to Canada, my wife and I, and uh, there's a lot of homelessness in Toronto. What if we both noticed it? Couldn't believe it. And I think partly that's an effect of uh, the lockdowns. You know, you you took a lot of people out of work. You gave some of them money. But uh, certainly we go back every year. We've never seen so much homelessness. So I don't know if it was just uh, luck, fortuitous, where we happened to be. But walking down one of the main streets of Toronto, there's homelessness everywhere. It was cold. Uh, all of the countries that went crazy on lockdown, which is just about everywhere to varying degrees, uh, you know, they printed money, asset inflation, best time ever to be rich billionaire. They took money from the poor to give to the rich. They took money from the young to give to the old. The chances of dying if you were young were effectively zero from COVID. So they lied. They pretended we're all in this together. Scott Morrison was an absolute disgrace. You know, you get a man who doesn't believe in free speech. He doesn't understand the presumption of innocence. Uh, the catalog of errors is so bad. And, and I can say this because you and I, well, I was certainly against the lockdowns from day one. The core question, I think, is when you're in a situation of radical uncertainty and you're not sure what's going to happen or what is happening, do you immediately go to the most authoritarian possible remedy, copy communist China, well, there's nobody who thinks that's a good idea. The thing you normally do in radical uncertainty is carry on with what you're doing and look for more information. And if you have a plan that was designed based on 100 years of data, which you know Britain had and Tony Abbott had arranged for Australia, they just jettisoned that in a week based on you know a couple days of data coming out of authoritarian China. It's just crazy. Everything they did was nuts. And now there's no accountability. I want some of these people to face severe consequences, but at best you're seeing some of them step down from office. Um, you know, I would have preferred to to see Andrews lose an election, but he, you know, or Jacinda Ardern flees before she could be defeated. Uh, I think Trudeau will lose in Canada. He's 15, 12 to 15 points behind in the polls to Poiliev, who's the uh, conservative leader, who is great, Ross, he's great. Well, hit pause there for just one second, because, you know, one of the things we have to admit is that many of the worst policies uh, of the past couple of years uh, in the COVID dystopia, they came equally out of, didn't, of Liberal and Labor. Liberal yeah. Labor, the Nationals and the Greens were a complete unity party with, they were the bureaucratic party and whatever the daft so-called experts in the Department of Health were saying, uh, and they were drunk on power uh, with no consequences for themselves, no risk of loss of jobs for themselves. 
Correct. Um, they 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 actually did better in some ways. Yeah, their 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 powers and perquisites were enhanced. Yeah. But the point is that you know Australia was not given an option because the Liberal Party fell into lo into lockstep alignment with the most author. Indeed, the Liberal Party was you know it was Scott Morrison's decision to say we will protect the manufacturers from any liability for injury. That was the only basis. He also set basis. up national cabinet. You know, that's yeah. not in our constitution. He just made it up and he empowered yeah. he empowered Dan Andrews and Palaszczuk and all the premiers. And we, and we have to say Gladys Berejiklian was, you know, in, in my judgment, a disaster, the worst premier yeah. in the history of New South Wales, a liberal authoritarian, liberal in name only. But what we are seeing, uh, you know, and indeed on, on climate change, you know, this other uh, aspect of the anaconda, which is wrapping its coils around the Australian economy and squeezing tighter and tighter, uh, you know, under Scott Morrison, um, campaign. Such a good metaphor. You should be writing for the theatre, Ross, yeah, with that yeah. kind of you know wordsmith abilities. That was really good. Well, it just leaps out at you, doesn't it? I mean, you see all the YouTube videos of the poor goat, you know, wrapped around by the anaconda, its face yeah. going purple, and it's hard not to think of the Australian economy. Um, but uh, the the point is that it doesn't matter which of the uni party is in charge, but it sounds like in, did we say Pavier? It sounds like Canada is being offered a real alternative to the madness of Trudeau. Well, he, he wasn't uh, the opposition leader during COVID, so they, they, the same was true in Canada. You saw it in Britain. The supposedly right of centre parties who say that their core concerns are individual freedom, they just completely sold individual freedom down the down the toilet. I can't decide if it was worse. Where Boris Johnson in Britain, he knew it was wrong, but he didn't have the courage to stand up to the lockdownistas. Or, you know, you get the people like Morrison, who really, from all appearances, had no core values. So just went with the flow. I can't decide which one's worse the the cowardice or the, you know, the sort of total uh, insouciance about, uh, yeah. But uh, so Poliev is partly there because, because of uh, lockdowns, I think. And uh, what the Canadians have finally figured out that we need to move to in Australia is they do not let the party room pick the leader. I used to be in favor of that, but it's obvious that there's such a massive divide between the outlooks of the party membership and the, and the MPs. So what happens in Canada is the members of the party, the Conservative Party, have one vote. If you're a member for a year or more, you get one vote. That's what the MPs get, one vote. And so here, here's here's a statistic that'll show how powerful it is. Australia probably has what you'll know, 20 to 30,000 members of the Liberal Party in the whole country. Yes. Canada has 750,000 members of the Conservative Party. The, the population of Canada is only about 50% higher. And that's because if you join the party, you pick the leader. So Poilievre was picked by the party membership uh, on a straight up, everyone gets one vote. The party... The party room would have walked over broken glass before they picked uh, before they picked uh, Poiliev, you know. But once he's installed, the the uh, caucus, the party room cannot get rid of him. Only the party membership. So he's doing things that n there's just no way that Peter Dutton could do because you know half to two thirds of his party room just wouldn't let him. Even the Voice. Look at how many people in the party room of the Liberal Party were in favor of the Voice. 
How many advisors has Dutton got who told him to fake to come out in favor of the voice? Has he fired any of them? You know, if you haven't fired every single advisor who said you should come out in favor of the voice, you are an incompetent leader of the Liberal Party. But, uh, you know, that's the problem. He's worried about his own position because he doesn't trust the party room. Yeah. This, you know, the same people who axed Abbott. I get tired of watching uh, Bronwyn Bishop go on about we need to be more conservative when she voted for Turnbull over Abbott. You know, people <laughs> need to say that every time she speaks. Well, look, I was looking over my shoulder into this little bookshelf because in there somewhere is a copy of John Ruddick's book, Make the Liberal Party Great Again. Yeah. And his central thesis is that the Liberal Party needs to move to a mass membership vote for the leader for precisely the reasons you have outlined and relying explicitly on the example of the Conservative uh, Party in Canada for both its uh, massive recruitment potential, but also for giving a leader a much more solid mandate and for yep. starting to breach the gap uh, between, as you say, the broad sweep of the membership, like Edmund Burke's lowing cattle under the hills and trees and valleys, uh, and the little cluster locked in the microcosm of Canberra who just get rolled over by the bureaucracy. I'm going to ask you in a moment... Uh, to talk south of the Canadian border about Donald Trump's legal problems and his prospects of election. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Professor James Allen Garrick, Professor of Law at Queensland University. You're on The Ross Cameron Show. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system, it's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. 
If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Uh, uh, you're with Ross Cameron and Professor James Allen from Queensland University. Uh, Professor, I am going on when my next guest is uh, TNT's own Chris Smith to have a review of 2023 and projections for 2024. And obviously one of the big questions I will cover with Chris is uh, the prospects of Donald Trump. But since you are a professor of law, I know following these things, I mean, there is an attempt legally to knock Trump off the ballot in various states. I understand the Supreme Court has accepted an appeal. Um, What do you say about the legal equation in Trump's candidacy for the GOP nomination? Well, just uh, to preface this, I, I over the last year or so, I took quite a few bets with friends that Trump would win the Republican nomination. Nobody's betting with me now. <laughs> I can tell you that he he will win the nomination, and I think he'll win the I think he'll win the election. I mean, I think he's going to win by enough to get over the margin of uh, you know third party ballot harvesting and you know unsolicited mail out. They've got the worst. Uh, voting uh, sort of uh, rules in the planet, some of the U.S. states. So I think he's going to win. He's ahead. He's never in the first in the last two elections. He was never ahead in the polls uh, before Election Day. Now, you can believe what you want about the polls, but he's sitting five or six points up. He's up with young people. He's doing better than he's ever done with Hispanics and blacks. Uh, Every time they try to put him in jail, he gets better. So I would predict he wins. Now, you know, that's a hostage to fortune, but I, I've been saying it for a while. It's looking better. Uh, and the thing about Trump is he's boorish, he's crass. Uh, he he made a lot of mistakes about lockdown. Uh, I, I thought that DeSantis, if he was going to take out Trump, had to run solely on lockdowns because DeSantis was great. But on everything else, Trump actually said he was going to do A to Z, and he set out to try to do them. To the extent he didn't do them, it was because Republicans blocked him in Congress. Paul Ryan on the wall, uh, you know, uh, John McCain not voting to get rid of Obamacare. So, you know, Trump didn't do some of the things he promised, but it was almost always because of the Republican Congress or the bureaucracy. I think he's learned that every single bureaucrat you have to treat as an enemy of the Republican Party. Uh, so I, th- I th- these legal challenges, uh, you know, they are not going to stop him from being uh, the Republican candidate. The the you know the the one on in Washington is totally bogus. The only one that's remotely plausible is the uh, confidential documents, and every president has kept those. And it's a it's a form over substance charge. You know, the president has the constitutional power to declassify anything, and so there you know the fact that he didn't. And he kept them in Mar-a-Lago, some of them, uh, with security compared to Joe Biden when he was vice president, has got them all over in, in his garage and everywhere else. You know, th- there's no equality before the law in the U.S. right now. They have weaponized the uh, legal system against people they don't like on the other side of politics. And then they talk about democracy. You're trying to take out your opposition candidate who's five or six points ahead of you in the polls. Uh, that is third world stuff. Uh, I don't think it'll work. I think the Supreme Court will uh, knock out the Colorado ban. You know, again, he's not going to win Colorado anyway, but, you know, it's just uh, firing up the rest of the U.S. states. So I don't know what uh, Chris, your uh, colleague, thinks, but uh, I'm always willing to put a bottle of wine on the U.S. election if if, uh, he's uh, thinking that Trump's going to lose. 
Well, I, I, I think Tris, uh, well, I'll be interested to see. I won't speak for him. He's, he, he's capable of expressing his own view, which I'm sure he'll do uh, momentarily. Now, before you go, I'm going to ask you one more question uh, before I let you return to your beautiful spouse and your holiday in London. But what do you, uh, do you have any advice for uh, Donald Trump in relation to his vice presidential pick? You know, I, I think if he wants an off the wall pick, I would go out and pick a union leader in the energy sector because the energy sector, they, you know, they hate all the climate change stuff that the, the Democrats are trying to shove down his, down America's throat. If you saw Trump on a stand with a union leader and, you know, the mainstream big unions are all going to, they're in they're in the Democrat pocket. They're all going to come out for Biden. But a lot of their members, a lot of working class union members vote Republican, more, more than half. And if he could get uh, someone like that, that could be a very powerful pick and it would be a non sort of career politician. Uh, failing that, you, you the, the normal wisdom is to take someone from a state you would not otherwise win. Uh, but I'm not sure that works with Trump. So, so occasionally a vice president can deliver you a state you would not otherwise win. Uh, so that's the normal conventional wisdom. Uh, I He's not going to go anywhere near Nikki Haley. She's she's establishment Republican. She doesn't really support building a wall. Uh, so she's big immigration. He's not going to pick her. The woman, the governor from South Dakota is good, but, you know, South Dakota, he's going to win that anyway. And I don't know that she brings all that much to the table. So uh, I would go for a sort of off the wall pick. I would look at a union leader from a sector like, uh, you know, oil and gas and get them there. And he might deliver an awful lot of votes for you. Okay. Uh, very good. Uh, Professor, I give you a high distinction uh, for your performance on the Ross Cameron Better show. than usual. Better than uh, usual. I still have a uh, job. So that's yeah. Good yeah, I mean, um, no, you've you, you've you've done good. So thank you. Uh, we look forward to your return. Uh, enjoy your holiday. All right, give give Chris my address if he wants that bottle of wine. Bet. <laughs> okay, I'll ask him uh, momentarily. Right. Thanks for yeah. joining us. You are dismissed. <laughs> well, there you have it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That very rare is almost like the Tasmanian tiger. Uh, a uh, rational uh, conservative libertarian uh, employed by a major Australian university. You won't see that very often, uh, but we like to bring you the news uh, that you don't see uh, somewhere else. As I know, does Chris Smith, who is really a kind of anchor uh, in the TNT stable. He is really the marquee show. Uh, you know, the Ross Cameron show would be in little letters, barely legible. You know, you'd need a sort of a a, a set of, um, you know, goggles to see it. Chris Smith writ large is the horsepower in the operation. Thanks for leaving the tranquility of your Sunday evening and joining us tonight. Good on you, Ross. Good to be here. Um, tell us about the, I always like to begin with some sort of inappropriate, uh, personally probing questions. Uh, tell us about the Chris Smith Sunday. You look terrific. You look sort of tanned, relaxed, fit. Uh, what, what has, what, what has your Sunday entailed so far? 
I have had one of the best Sundays I think I've had for about 12 months. I've got things done, Ross. You know, one of the great things about kicking the grog is you actually get things done instead of sitting on your backside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got up nice and early. I got up about 7.30, way before the family. I went out and trimmed a tree, which I needed to trim because it was trying to drag down the rest of the backyard. I then cut all of those up with a with a, a hacksaw, which gave me lots of um, lots of exercise. I don't need to go to the gym tomorrow. Um, I painted part of the fence in a, a colour that I've been selecting for a couple of weeks. I went and... Oh, well. In a moment, in midstream, we were getting the sort of uh, domestic Gettysburg address there from the magnificent uh, Chris Smith, but we seem to have lost him. Uh, I will say, while we wait uh, for uh, uh, Chris to rejoin us, which I'm sure he'll do momentarily, uh, I did have a rather beautiful uh, walk down to, uh, to Bondi Beach, which was um, in, which included stopping at a, a beautiful, magnificent jasmine tree. I don't know if jasmine is a tree or a shrub, but it's um, this bush was in full burst of flower, and the perfume coming from this tree just sort of assaulted my olfactory sense with the most beautiful scent. Uh, and I think that moment was possibly uh, the highlight of my day. Uh, do we have Chris back on the line? Are you with us, brother? I can hear you. Can you hear me, Roscoe? Yeah, I've got you now. I've got you okay. now. I just lost you momentarily. So what colour did you choose for your uh, fence <laughs> paling that took two <laughs> weeks to decide? Was it a committee decision or oh, did you get to make it all on your own? No, I took it all on my own and I yeah. showed um, the better half the results of my uh, colour test. Uh, we had a, a few competing colours. And uh, I got it over the line. It, it uh, went straight to the keeper. And uh, so I continue to paint on. And that will be a project that will continue for around about three weekends. And then yes. we took the kids down to the local baths yeah. and bathed in the sunshine and had a fantastic yeah. time. The water was surprisingly warm in Sydney Harbour. Yeah. And um, we just sat around and watched a, um, a movie together and then um, had some dinner. That was it. But it was one of those great Sundays, no kids sport, no distractions, didn't watch any news and just enjoyed myself. Well, that sounds absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, you must be, what may I ask, um, how many make the decision on what movie to watch and how? what is the cabinet process? No, um, it's a, a very um, authoritarian approach in the house. The yeah. wife decides and we follow. Yes. Um, and so we, we sat and watched a Scottish uh, dra- drama called Vigil. I think it's yes. called Vigil. Um, yes. And it is outstanding. A police. Really? Well, I'm very pleased to hear it. Um, you know, it's, that means we've had two positive reviews in one show we had james allen gave us a very positive review of a um what do you call a london theater show uh, which on the making of hamlet and you're telling us that the scottish docudrama vigil mm. is worth watching worth watching um there's no uh, jumping the shark it seems logical it seems almost um 
It seems believable and it's very entertaining. So I can um, recommend it to everyone. Well, I'm pleased to hear that. I mean, the decision-making um, hierarchy in my household sounds pretty much identical to <laughs> yours. Um, however, um, well, I do want to congratulate you as people are thinking about their sort of resolutions for the year. You mentioned you're uh, off the grog and you've discovered all of this time that you now have available to do useful and productive things. How many how many days, weeks, months have you been off the grog? Uh, well, it's getting close to 13 months, very close to 13 months. But even at night time, Ross, like normally I'd sit in my big fat backside and pour mm-hmm. myself a red yeah. and then get through the first bottle and then, you know, be challenged over the second. None mm-hmm. of that happens anymore. So I get things done. Um, and so we... I managed the kids cleaning up uh, their bedroom. I, I got into the garage and put the Christmas decorations away. You get things done. I didn't know there were so many hours in a single day. Yeah. Well, you do look um, terrific. I mean, you look fit. Uh, you look like a male is sort of meant to look. I mean, we're all in decline at this stage, uh, just some more rapidly than others. And I reckon you look, uh, you know, you look very respectable for a middle-aged uh, male. Yeah, Still- I'm feeling good. I'm feeling healthy. Um, I won't go to the gym tomorrow, but, I, um, but I've done plenty of activity over the weekend and I hope that continues through the year. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, very good. Well, you gave a uh, pretty impressive 2013 wrap-up, uh, which I had the benefit of, Um you know, as you're a broadcaster with your finger on the pulse of what's happening in Australia and in other places around the world, uh, if you put on your Nostradamus hat, uh, Thomas Mann, the great German uh, novelist, uh, said that any prediction involving humanity may be premature uh, in the sense that we never quite know what the human race is going to do, uh, what self-harm it is going to cause. But what what do you think? Uh, what what are the big stories as as Chris looks forward to the year ahead in 2024? Well, I won't be having a bet with your previous host over the US election because I'm convinced that Trump will win. Yes. Um, you were one of the great Trump supporters. You were one of those people who said that Trump would win um, against all odds. The polls weren't for him, but now they are for him at this yes. same juncture. Yes. And I just think he's going to he's going to rock it in. You know what I thought was, um, and I know this is very early. Like we're only we're ten months away. But yes. I just thought what the Colorado Supreme Court did has impacted on. America's sense of democracy in that they want their democracy back because what has happened through the Colorado Supreme Court against Trump leading up to this next election is unacceptable. And they will vote for their democracy. And if they have to vote for Trump and they don't like the bloke, I think they're still going to vote for him. I think this has wound up uh, costing the Democrats badly. I don't know whether it's a conspiracy. I don't know whether they planned it to happen. I do know um, that there were four who voted for this in the Colorado Supreme Court, all Democratic nominees. So I don't know whether you call that a, a conspiracy or an intentional um, 
an intentional intentional poisoning of Donald Trump's um, um, prospects at the next election. Either way, I think it has only cemented his chance of winning. That's what I think will happen. But you, you think about the circumstances leading up to this election in November, and if you'd written a book, Ross Cameron, say 10... Okay, we've just in midstream lost our boy under instruction. Uh, I, I've, I think we've got him back, but we will take at 9.44, we'll take a short break and we'll be back for the steaming momentum-building crescendo of the Ross Cameron Show. Stay with us. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez, and normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood, as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, Remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like I don't remember what I did last week, but like I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working. I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Back and rolling with Chris Smith live. He's uh, 100% behind Donald Trump. His view is that the legal uh, adventurism uh, is helping, not hurting Trump, and that he will win comfortably. What's the next big story for 2024? Well, I think we're not going to learn our lesson uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, you know, you know the history of all of this, Ross. Um, we made an agreement with the fall of the Soviet Union uh, to keep right away from NATO membership around the boundaries of Russia. We didn't keep that. Um, uh, it wasn't passed on at the White House from Ronald Reagan through to uh, Barack Obama. So in 2014, when Barack Yeah, well, indeed, uh, we find it wasn't just Barack Obama. We have to admit that one of the uh, the most expansionist uh, was uh, George W. Bush, 
And uh, it was Republicans and Democrats alike uh, who have been responsible for the uh, expansionism after pretty sure it was James Baker who promised not one inch further east would NATO go if the Berlin Wall came down. But you say, I say the war in Ukraine is going to come to an end this year, but you reckon it's going to keep going? Oh, I just hear the, the, the ludicrous sums of money that continue to be poured into the hands of Zelensky, and I just think it's gross, and I think there's no way out for NATO. Um, they don't know the word negotiation. They probably can't even spell it, and it's time it was negotiated. I hope you're right, Ross, but I don't see us learning from history. Okay, great. Um, well, we'll see. I think that you are correct, Donald Trump will be elected, and I believe the conflict uh, will, if not resolved before then, I think it will be resolved between the time of the election on November 4 and Christmas Day, uh, the special military operation in Ukraine will be over. Uh, but let us see. Mm. Um, what about um, now? I think if I'm going to, I've got a bold prediction about a consequence of Trump's election for Australia. Right. But uh, you know, I understand it's good practice in radio. You you are the expert. I am the uh, apprentice to actually ask one's guests uh, their opinion uh, rather than labouring your own. What about in Australia? What, what, what do you see coming up for Australians in the next year? Well, I, I don't know the impact that Donald Trump will have on um, the next parliament or the next government, but I do think that our uh, current Labor government won't uh, be doing any favours for Donald Trump because they despise him immensely, especially our foreign minister. Um, but I think by the time we get to Christmas dinner next year, Anthony Albanese is going to be so on the nose in Australia, it's not going to be funny. Um, he's already got a trajectory in the polls that is heading to the negative. It's heading south. And I cannot see that picking up. I think he's a dill. Yeah, well, I think uh, a lot of us are feeling the, uh, the weights on Albanese. Uh, he's losing allies left and right. I think it's fair to say that the voice referendum, that he bet so much on it uh, at a time when all the polls were looking so favourable, uh, he invested so much, not just the $700 million in cash, but more the sort of emotional investment and the authority investment. And when he came out with not just losing, but getting smashed uh, by 60-40, I think it has certainly dented his authority. And you have now even Labor figures coming out and saying, well, you know, what actually is the government's agenda? Now, we've lost the symbolic argument. We've been smacked to the boundary, what is the government on about? And basically all you wind up with is, you know, Chris Bowen saying, let's build a bunch of windmills. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Albanese trajectory, I think Albanese is under uh, significant pressure and that is likely to increase. Um Okay, I'll give you one more. Open Dorothy Dixer. What is uh, what 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 else are you anticipating for for Australia for the coming year? Well, I, I think you touched on something then about windmills. 
Yes. Well, there we go. Uh, I don't know if we're going to blame Telstra or not. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, the National Broadband Network, uh, equally uh, disastrous. Uh, I think uh, I think we've got you back, but you talk about the, what were you going to say about Chris Bowen? I, I think the whole windmill, offshore windmill um, experiment is dying left, right and centre. It's dying in Scandinavia. It's dying on the east coast of the US. It will die on the east coast of Australia. It is inefficient. It is unsustainable. And unless the government is going to say, if your company crashes, we will look after you, unless they're prepared to go that far in terms of subsidies, there is no, there is just no future for for wind farms to be baseload powered uh, or baseload Intended. Oh, look, will you look at listen to Chris Bowen? He talks about wind farms and renewables being the way we're going to get ahead on on their own. There is no example of that happening happening anywhere in the world. It's not going to work. They are inefficient. They're not profitable. And and companies right around the world are seeing this. They're bailing big time. And I think that will be the story in 2024. These so-called, you know, green evangelist projects will fall over left, right and centre, will continue to do so. Okay. Well, Chris, um, I'm going to go a bit uh, left field. Um, you mentioned the expression uh, conspiracy theory. And uh, we now find that uh, conspiracy theorist is the sort of insult du jour uh, from the big state, deep state, industrial uh you know, machine for anyone who disagrees with the government yep. is a uh, conspiracy theorist. Uh, tell us, is there a conspiracy theory that Chris Smith sort of secretly, uh, you know, believes or is uh, attracted to? A conspiracy theory that I'm attracted to. Well, I think the conspiracy theory over the fallout from COVID is real. I think the fact that we don't have any decent investigation, including in the UK, on what happened during COVID-19, including this whitewash in Australia that they roughly call a COVID-19 investigation, is a complete whitewash because everyone in the halls of power, Ross, everyone in medical circles have all agreed that it was a dangerous, um, lethal program that should not have been done and it was an experiment that no one wants to take blame for but they must and, and I think that is a conspiracy right now they keep saying oh you can't talk about numbers of deaths from COVID-19 because all in all it saved more people than we lost and all that crap well show us exactly uh put a put all of these premiers on the line and these medical officers and these medical directors and let's talk to them about why. The well, I'm 100% with you. Um, I think the fact that we are not prepared to undertake a serious inquiry, you know, this is the sort of smoking gun. Yeah. Where What we have in terms of stories that don't get told, that must get told, you know, this massive spike in all-cause mortality. Yeah, excess uh, deaths. It's, excess it's a deaths. fraud. And it's like this massive, it's the elephant in the room, but not a single state or federal government uh, is prepared. They're announcing inquiries into the most daft, eccentric, yep. you know, uh, footnotes, uh, it, it, you know, uh, attract an inquiry. 
Yet when we've had the most serious spike in mortality, the death rate, the life expectancy in Canada after rising on a perfectly predictable curve for a century has since 2020 fallen by two years. Mm. Um, average life expectancy. And we are seeing in Australia very, very similar patterns, but just this point blank, bloody minded, stubborn refusal to inquire into its causes. Because, uh, you know, and then this plethora of stories where you get up and read, you know, some uh, Brisbane mother, 34 years old, uh, went to sleep on Christmas morning, uh, but not feeling well. And her husband went to wake her up and found her dead. Yeah, uh, you know, young male athletes dropping athletes. like flies on football fields. You know, died suddenly, uh, no explanation. Uh, you know, the community is in mourning. You know, well, no one's allowed to say what's the person triple and booster injected. I mean, this mm. is the one major change in public health, but apparently, no one's allowed to ask a question about. Yeah, it. Yeah, but they keep calling us conspiratorial um, theorists when we mention whether it's got anything to do with vaccines. But you know, if they, if if why don't they prove that it's a conspiracy, a pure conspiracy, and have a series of inquiries to determine that the data that we got in New Zealand a month ago and the data that would be replicated in countries right around the world is due to something else? Why don't they have that to prove that we are conspiracists? Yeah. Well, I think we have to say uh, that, you know, Anthony Albanese is being described, you know, by even by people on his own side as a quote beta male, beta male. I think he's gutless. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I have to say uh, the Liberal Party has been, you know, the Liberal Party is equally implicated. Yep. And so we see this sort of collusion between the major players in politics who just do not want to go there. Mm. Well, look, my bold prediction for Australia uh, is that the AUKUS deal on submarines will die Ooh. in 2024. And I say that because we now have senior figures in the Trump administration who are publicly articulating their concern that the United States cannot afford to give Australia the Virginia-class nuclear-powered submarines that were promised as a cornerstone of the deal. Mm. And they are saying two things. One, that the US military is stretched so tight across both Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and now the Pacific, uh, that they don't have the submarines to spare. And secondly, that the US industrial base has declined in such a dramatic fashion that they can't build new ones quick enough. So I think the Trump administration will come in and announce quickly, sorry, boys and girls, uh, no deal. Anyway, there we go. It's 9.59. As you know, Chris Smith, um, we've got uh, a hard break at 12. That's right. So what I think I'd like you to do, since we have 40 seconds to go, I'm going to just lean back in my chair and you are going to end the Ross Cameron show. Well, that was Ross Cameron, and of course, one of the smartest minds in the world when it comes to politics and news and current affairs. He will be back, not just next Sunday, Australian time, with another fantastic program, but he'll also be on the Chris Smith program, the Chris Smith show, as a matter of fact, on TNT coming up this week. He'll be on the program on Tuesday, so make sure you're listening. If you're in Australia in the afternoon, if you're in London, very early hours, 
and uh, late at night in LA and New York. So there you have it. Ross Cameron thanks you all for tuning in and hopefully can have your company next week on TNT. Bless you, brother. 